Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corrine Pettit, and I'm here today with Pete Miller, a member of MPF's Board of Directors, for a look at the then and now of psoriasis care as we celebrate Founders Week which honors the legacy of those who championed the start of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Pete is a retired school principal from Portland, Oregon, who has actively been involved with the foundation in planning fundraiser events, participating in education events, and chairing past volunteer conferences. Pete currently serves on the advocacy, outreach, and research committees. Pete's journey aligns with a lot of what has occurred for the foundation over the years. Let's join Pete as we talk about his journey with psoriasis. Welcome, Pete. It's great to have you here on Soundbites today. It's great to be here, Corrine. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. So, Pete, as you know, the National Psoriasis Foundation was officially founded in 1967, and that's 54 years ago this week. And originally, founder Beverly Foster's husband placed an ad in the newspaper on behalf of his wife to help draw people with psoriasis together. So I believe that you were diagnosed around that same time, too. So let's go back in time and talk about when you were first diagnosed with psoriasis. When was that? Sure. My story goes back some 59 years now. I was first diagnosed with psoriasis in 1962, just five years before the founding of the NPF. So I imagine back then psoriasis was pretty poorly understood. So Pete, what was the process of getting diagnosed? Poorly understood is an understatement, Corrine. My first psoriasis outbreak, as I remember, really came on quickly and seemingly with vengeance. Red scaly patches all over my body, especially my knees, my elbows, and my scalp particularly. I would wake up every morning with my bed covered in scales. It was really embarrassing and terribly unsightly. I remember being frightened. My family wasn't helping very much because they were quite concerned as well. My father was thinking that it might be something really serious. Oh, wow. So what happened next? My mother quickly scheduled an appointment with our family practice physician, who seemed puzzled himself, (laughs) and finally decided it had to be a ringworm and prescribed, if you can believe it, prescribed medication accordingly. As I remember, days went by without any improvement to the ringworm and the red scaly stuff increasing rapidly while my mother scheduled another appointment, this time with a respectable and very knowledgeable dermatologist. He soon made me feel much better. He called it psoriasis, a word I'd never heard of. He soon put me more at ease, telling me, first of all, that it wasn't contagious and explained that the skin cells were just being produced too rapidly, causing a buildup that he called lesions. He also, as I remember, lightly scraped one or two of my psoriasis spots to show me the very shallow bleeding points in psoriasis. So how old were you when all this was going on? uh, 14. Well, he went on to explain 
my upcoming tar treatments and sent me home with prescriptions that would soon nearly turn me into a tar baby. <laughs> oh, how we've come so far. There was so much even a good dermatologist didn't know back in the day about psoriasis. I only wish I had a recording of his diagnosing explanation to me today. That's a lot, especially for a 14-year-old. That's such a hard age as it is. It was. It was frightening at the time. I'd stayed home from school for a period of time with this, not knowing whether it was contagious or what it was. So I didn't have that worry, uh, the social worry, but I was really concerned about my health and whether I was okay and whether my dad was right. Maybe it was something really contagious or, or really serious. Yeah, I'm sure at that point you were kind of wishing it was ringworm. <laughs> oh boy, yes. So we're talking about teens are already a really hard age. What was it like being diagnosed with psoriasis in the beginning during high school of all times? You know, it, it, it obviously it was, it was difficult. I was one of those many at this age, uh, sensitive, self-conscious, trying to find himself kind of freshman in high school. I don't think there's ever a good time to, to get psoriasis, but at that age, it had to be one of the worst. And how did the other kids react to you? First question I ever got from kids, every kid, was, is it contagious? Thinking back, it probably didn't really matter anyway, as the kids seemed to keep their distance from me at first anyway. I remember the long sleeve shirts, sweaters, and turtlenecks to cover myself up. The only problem was my face and scalp. And to make matters worse, in those days, we all wear pretty short crew cuts, so I couldn't hide a thing. And hats were outlawed. And my dad, of course, was the high school principal. Oh, I didn't know that your dad was a principal and that you became a principal. That's really cool. I did. I followed in his footsteps. Yeah. He was a good one. That's great. And what do you remember the most from those days in high school and your psoriasis? What I will always remember and probably left the deepest emotional scars was PE class, gym class. In those days, we had it every day and were required to dress down and to shower afterwards. You can imagine how that went. To top it off, my favorite sport and the one I was best at was basketball. And oh, by the way, that required bare legs with large audiences for games. Mind you, if you're too young to remember, these were short shorts, not the far below the knee basketball shorts that men and women basketball players use today. I thought about quitting many times. It was just embarrassing and very embarrassing to me. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I stuck it out. Yeah, I imagine that would be really hard. Those are some short shorts. I wasn't alive back then, but I do remember seeing pictures. If you see pictures on television, Back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it's amazing. I mean, they were really short shorts. That didn't quite fit the disease that I had. Absolutely. Well, that's great that you kept at it, though. I, I did. I did. I love the game. I love the game, and I stuck it out, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. So speaking of visual appearances, what other impacts did psoriasis have on your confidence as a young man? Well, you can imagine by now it was uh, it was a huge impact, especially at first. Things got better as time went on. 
sure there was teasing and bullying by some jerky kids, which was really hurtful. But looking back on it now, I've come to believe I was maybe my worst enemy, being so ultra sensitive and stressed about what people thought and what they were probably talking about. My high school years passed, things got better, and I got more used to it. And my classmates probably got more used to me as well. When my psoriasis wasn't flaring, my self-esteem improved and even had a great girlfriend my junior and senior years. Was it ever an issue when you were dating? Well, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to any intimacy, which all us guys tried to uh, be a part of. But I, like I said, it, it, it got better with time. And if I was in sort of a remission or wasn't flaring, it was a lot better. And that happened. So on the topic of remission, since you're talking about that, what treatments for psoriasis were available at that time? I know you mentioned being a tar baby earlier. Can you name some other examples of what there was? Well, tar was the basic product, coal tar-based products, almost exclusively. Tar creams, tar ointments, tar baths, tar shampoos. I did have a single UV sunlamp that I attached to the back of a chair and sat in front of, mainly for my face. And it worked pretty good. I had to be careful, though, because coal tar makes your skin more sensitive to sunlamp. So I had to be very careful of burning. But it did help. Yes, yeah, so I'm really interested in what it was like using tar. I, I imagine that smell was very intense. Oh, my goodness. The first two words out of my mouth when I think of that, I think of smelly and messy. <laughs> tar products, as I remember them, and I've confirmed this with other patients, uh, was great at reducing scales from your psoriasis. But what it would do would turn your psoriatic lesions bright red and much more visible. I remember applying tar ointment to my body before bed and waking up to smelly yellow-orange pajamas and sheets. Then there was the matter of school that morning and cleaning yourself up. What I would have given for a shower. My family, modest middle-class family, shared only one single bathtub, one bathroom home. That one bathtub was the one with the yellow ring around it from my tar baths. Oh, wow. So did you have to wrap yourself also, or you just put the tar in and jumped into bed? Yeah, I put the tar on and uh, put an undershirt and PJs on and jump into bed. So I, I was pretty smelly in the morning. Looking back, mm -hmm. I don't know how my family did it with one bathtub, but we made it work, especially with my rather lengthy process of cleaning the tar and improving my scent before I went out the door. The thing I probably didn't appreciate nearly enough was my mother. That poor dear had to clean up behind me each day, cleaning the tub, cleaning my bedding, and many of my clothes. You never appreciate a mother, do you, until you get a little older. And I certainly didn't in those days. Oh, that's sweet. As a fellow mom, I can say she's probably very happy to do it. So when did you first discover the power of light and what it could do for you? Oh, the power of the sun. Well, I go back to that single UV bulb on the back of a chair in high school. It seemed to work pretty well on my face. 
Eventually, I found success sunbathing outside on those few sunny days in Oregon. No mm -hmm. sunscreen and, of course, a private area, which I found more difficult on my college campus. The results were remarkable. After college, I became a teacher, and every March during spring break, I managed to find a way to Palm Springs to bask in the sun. I was jealous of all my friends that were tuning up their golf games while I laid by the pool doing my job to get rid of psoriasis. I would come back looking so much better, more confident for a few weeks until we saw the sun again in about July. So other than sunlight, was there any other types of light therapy that you tried? Yes, several. There was uh, PUVA, UVB rays. The PUVA was a really big part of what I did in, in my treatment process for a number of years. I was introduced to PUVA back in the 1980s. 84, to be exact, was my first treatment. And what was using PUVA like? Essentially, what it was, was a light box that you would step into. You'd be naked other than your privates. Two hours before a PUVA treatment, you would take Sorolin to sensitize your skin to the sunlight. After taking that, you would hurry to the doctor's office where they had the PUVA equipment. And you would stay in there as long as they prescribed you to. It was increasing over time. I responded so well to PUVA. It was a godsend at the time. I would go and actually go into remission with PUVA treatments for sometimes up to a year. Hardly had any psoriasis at all, other than maybe in my base where I used the steroid creams. The Sorolin did stay in your system, they said, for 24 hours. So it was kind of interesting as an elementary school principal. I remember the next day after a PUVA treatment, I would go out on the playground to monitor uh, lunch recess with these huge, dark, wraparound goggles look like something from outer space that the kids would really get a kick out. I was quite self-conscious about it. I didn't like it at all, but we tried to stick with it and uh, protect my eyes. So you mentioned you tried UVB light therapy. What was that like, and did it have the same effect as PUVA? I moved from PUVA after they told me I'd, I'd maxed out on PUVA, and they didn't recommend any more PUVA treatment. So I graduated to UVB light, which is a much calmer, lighter sort of UV rays. You would do the same thing in terms of stepping into a box. You did not take a sensitizer at all. And you would start at maybe 20 seconds. It's kind of the gold standard today, I think, for uh, UV light treatments. Problem with it was you would have to go into the dermatologist's office to get a treatment three to five times a week. And you might be in there for 30 seconds or a minute or two, <laughs> and you were uh, headed home. So it was kind of a hassle, but it worked over time. It took months, but it worked much like the uh, PUVA. And I got some remission from that as well. I wasn't worried at all about the side effects. Uh, possible skin cancer when I was in my teens and 20s. The more, the better. The more my psoriasis, of course, would disappear and I would look better. And the benefit was kind of having a tan as well. So you mentioned skin cancer. 
did you have issues with that? I had no side effects with all that sun treatment until my 60s. And I started to develop several basal cell precancerous lesions on my face and neck. I've had a half a dozen or so uh, Mo surgeries on those. And I also go in for every six months for a full body check to see if there's anything more serious, of course. Wow. So you start from having the tar, the sticky mess. I bet the light therapy just felt wonderful. And so what was it like for you to have something that improved the appearance of your skin? Possibly only people who have experienced moderate to severe psoriasis for years can really explain the relief, the relief of worry and anxiety, the gain in self-esteem, confidence, the feel of actually feeling sexy again, improvements in intimacy, and you know, an overall more positive attitude about life that improved almost every facet of your life. Finally being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, that's so important. So from there, Pete, what was next on your treatment journey? Well, next on my journey probably were steroid topicals. Unlike the tar-based topicals, the steroid versions, as an anti-inflammatory as they were, reduced both the scales and the redness. So it was quite a blessing. Now I was nearly completely clear, but clearly not without a cost health-wise. Too much UV light and the steroid topicals, which could begin to thin your skin where they were used on your face. Always something to be concerned about, it seemed like in my case. But vanity would usually win out. And I continued these treatments as long as the derm allowed me and sometimes cheated after that even. So it sounds like you were on light treatment for quite a few years. I was, probably way too many. When you add up the sun lamp on my face, all the exposure, the sun tanning, <laughs> Palm Springs, Puva, UVB, it's amazing. I was fortunate enough to start a clinical trial with a biologic four years ago. I haven't sunbathed since. I've really given my skin a break. That's a great jumping point for us. So you, you mentioned you started a biologic. What has that done to help you manage your disease? Oh, my goodness. I can't even begin to explain. I was so fortunate to be invited to join a clinical trial. It was a trial to test a IL-23 targeted drug for psoriasis. By targeted, it means that instead of a systemic impacting your entire body's immune system, it only targeted IL-23. So that put me at ease when the doctor, before I started the treatments, the research project, explained all that to me. I felt much better about it and much better about having fewer side effects, of which I've had zero. My treatment requires a shot, an injection, every three months, and they monitor you so closely. Every three months, it's like getting a full physical. They take your blood pressure, they give you an EKG, they test your blood and your urine, they check your body out for psoriasis, and you have a, a fairly lengthy discussion with the doctor. It's very comforting, and it's lots of safeguards. 
So I would encourage anybody, they have the opportunity to do that as well. The problem, as I see it, Corrine, is the biologics are so wonderful if you get the right one and your body responds to it. Everybody's different, of course, but it's so sad that so few people with psoriasis are able to experience that kind of treatment. The costs are high. There's insurance issues, but I have total remission. In fact, I couldn't find a spot of psoriasis on my body today. We need to make it more affordable and more accessible to everybody with moderate to uh, severe psoriasis. And that's, of course, what the Foundation Advocacy Group is doing in every state and in in the federal government. So uh, kudos to the Foundation's Advocacy Group. They're helping with that problem. Yeah, it's amazing to me that in many ways your journey mirrored what's happened within National Psoriasis Foundation. You were diagnosed in early 1960s and MPF was founded in 1967. And MPF was beginning to fund research, advocacy, and education to help move us from coal tar to phototherapy to systemics and biologics, which is very similar to your personal story and probably a lot of our other listeners as well. Have you ever considered that? Absolutely, I have. It's aligned very, very closely to each treatment developed uh, over the past 60 plus years. What makes it so special to me is that I've lived it and I've benefited from each one of those advances. It's wonderful, but it really has aligned very closely with the, the foundation and with the developments. Well, and as you know, Pete, when Beverly Foster first started the MPF, she brought people together to talk about their disease and learn about the latest information. And she, along with other volunteers, including medical professionals, in essence, helped set the path for the foundation. So, Pete, how did you first come to the National Psoriasis Foundation? It's it's very interesting. Much like Beverly Foster, like her first volunteers, uh, I read an advertisement somewhere. I'm not sure it was in the Oregonian or somewhere else about the one of the very first National Psoriasis Foundation volunteer conferences being held in Portland during the summer of 2006. The ad caught my attention and thank God I attended. First of all, it was a terrific event. I don't believe I have ever learned more about any topic in one day as I did about psoriasis on that summer day in 2006. On top of that, I, I got a chance to, to meet some highly respected researchers and dermatologists and talk to the folks from the NPF, where I was encouraged to get involved here locally in NPF. At the time, I didn't have time. I was a full-time administrator, but I was hooked, really hooked. After that, I began to plan my future retirement around volunteer work with the foundation. I remember my first assignment was to assist with the walk to cure psoriasis in September of 2013. That's great. Yeah, being a volunteer is such an important part of the National Psoriasis Foundation. And we really appreciate all that you and so many others do on behalf of MPF, which includes not only donating your time, but also helping to fund the foundation's activities. So looking into MPF's future, a big part of that is tied to the ability to fund research that will someday help find a cure. As a member of our research committee, can you please share with our listeners what their donations mean for people with psoriatic disease? Oh, yes, absolutely. Research research continues to develop better treatments for people with psoriatic disease and moves us closer to a cure. 
Research isn't possible without generous gifts of donors at all levels. When you give, you are honoring MPF's past, while at the same time, ensuring an equally successful future. The foundation invested over three and a quarter million dollars in research grants and fellowships in 2020. It's amazing. That moves the total amount NPF has invested in psoriatic disease grants and fellowships in recent years to more than $24 million, which includes recently funding for discovering a psoriatic arthritis diagnostic tool and psoriasis prevention initiative, PPI, which aims to invest $6.5 million to prevent the onset of psoriatic disease, relapse, and related comorbidities. That's amazing. It's so great to hear some positive things that came out of 2020. Really makes our future look bright. And to think that this all started with a newspaper ad, finding a PSA diagnostic tool means diagnosis could occur more quickly for psoriatic arthritis and reduce the lifelong limiting effects psoriatic arthritis has for our community. So Pete, for our final question, what does the National Psoriasis Foundation mean to you? Well, it, it means uh, purely a labor of love for me, Corrine. It plays a big part of my life. It means meeting and working and sharing with people that have the same goal all over our country and in all walks of life. It means the personal satisfaction and pride I get from being only a small fraction of a successful, well-respected organization helping to make life healthier, happier, and more bearable for millions of people around the world. Oh, thank you, Pete, so much. It was really a pleasure having you here to walk down memory lane from our founding roots and yours. Even though we still have a long ways to go because we haven't found that cure yet, there's greater understanding of the disease with treatments being discovered along the way that didn't exist 10, 20, or even 50 years ago. Thank you, Corinne. Thanks for having me. I just hope that people hear this and know how important it is their donations are to the foundation and great things are happening and it's very exciting and let's keep it going with your help. As mentioned, this week, February 15th through 21st is Founders Week. Throughout the week, we'll be honoring our past, celebrating our present, and raising funds to ensure our future. You can learn more at psoriasis.org forward slash founders hyphen week. And if you would like to donate and help support our mission, go to psoriasis.org forward slash donate. Your gifts fund things like the Psoriasis Prevention Initiative and the PSA Diagnosis Project. It is an important way in which you can be part of MPF's journey to find a cure. Finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of this program through unrestricted educational grants. Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Pfizer, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.